Hello, and welcome to the first episode of a podcast about audio drama and the creative process. I'm W. Keith Tins, writer and podcaster, creator of The Book of Constellations. In this show, I listen to the first episode of an audio drama, then have a discussion with the creators about the show, their methods, their struggles, and successes. Today, we're discussing the first episode of The Oracle of Dusk. I can't make you listen. I can't make you do anything. If I am a guide, then you are my client. And you are free to ignore me at any time. And you will ignore me when it becomes too much for you to bear. And then you will come back when the curiosity tips the scales the other way. I am here for you. It's hard to believe that when we don't even know each other's names, and when we didn't choose to work together. Written and performed by M.J. Bailey. The Oracle of Dusk is the story of a reluctant oracle and her equally reluctant clients trying to get through the next big hurdle in their lives. Dusk has dreams about people she knows as they go through pain or loss or approaching tragedy. Each of the short episodes takes the form of an audio recording that Dusk is made speaking directly to one of several clients trying to offer sympathy, help, and advice, even though neither she nor they asked for it. The first three episodes are about ten minutes each and begin different stories. The first episode is Dusk's conversation with a woman struggling in a difficult relationship. The second has Dusk talking about herself and her gifts. The third is about an academic grieving for the death of her partner. As the season unfolds, the multiple clients and Dusk's own story intertwine. I spoke with MJ via Zoom. Why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself as an artist and a creator and how you got started doing podcasting, specifically Oracle of Dusk? I'm MJ Bailey, and I think of myself as a writer. I've been writing pretty much my whole life. I think even as a child, I remember making like these little short stories and my mom's a preschool teacher. So she actually was able to arts and crafts like a, a picture book type setup for me mm-hmm. to write stories in and draw in. So that's, that's probably where all of that started. But of course, with podcasting, sometimes you have to wear a whole lot of different hats sure. to get anything done. So. I think in terms of where I started with podcasting, I actually started Miscellany Media Studios kind of as like a catch-all for all of my different projects because when I started out, I knew I was going to just create, create, create. At some point in early 2018, I was transitioning from theater work, like backstage stuff, to an actual office job. I, so I, I lost my creative outlet, but at mm. the point that I was at, I had kind of done enough sound stuff that I felt fairly confident I could do a podcast on my own if I needed to. And then, of course, no help ever came. So I started initially Miscellany Media Reviews, which is a project that is somewhat on the back burner, even though I hate that about myself. And and My Who Got, which was a podcast on Filipino culture that's also on the back burner because of everything else that's going on in my life. Oracle of Dusk was my first audio fiction podcast, but I think it was the first podcast that I ever had it in my head I was going to do. I just really didn't know how I was going to do it. So storytelling for me has always been a very personal outlet for things. 
I actually did a master's thesis tangentially on like the narrative power of storytelling and the therapeutic aspect of it. Mm-hmm, right. And at the time of my life that when I, when I was in graduate school and when I moved to Chicago, I was dealing with my own set of nightmares. So the entire premise of the Oracle of Dusk is someone getting visions of the present or near future that they never wanted, but she has to tell the people that she's seeing in her dreams that this is happening and the things that she has realized about their situation, which honestly at the time was happening to me. Hmm. I was having dreams about a professor that I knew that I couldn't talk to directly for a variety of reasons. Honestly, I don't think it was my moral responsibility to do anything about that. But the Oracle of Dusk show was me saying what I needed to say and hashing out my issues about the situation. I know you have a lot of questions for me. Because that's what always happens. And also there's a large asymmetry of information happening here. I know so much about you, but whatever forces are whispering this information to me aren't returning any of your calls. Or more simply, I'm dreaming of you with an astonishing degree of clarity and accuracy, but you've never seen my face, either when you're awake or you're asleep. Or if you have, you don't realize it, which is pretty much the same thing and exactly what I'm going for. So these were literal nightmares? Yeah. So when I was a teenager and these dreams started, they were really innocuous things like who was going to be the section leaders for marching band, what weird thing was going to happen at school the other day, like what assignments we were going to get, the outfits the teachers were wearing, like little minute details. But these particular dreams about this professor... They had something to do with death, and then it devolved into his death specifically. So that was when it got into nightmare territory. Wow. Your work does seem incredibly personal. You talked about my Hugot. The character there is named... Is it a character or is it you? It's The character is Marcy? Is that the character? It's supposed to be me. At that point, I hadn't decided if I was ever going to be a person on the internet. Right. And then you fall into Twitter and you're like, well, I'm a, I'm a person on the internet now, <laughs> regardless of what I would have decided to be. Yeah. Uh, your other show, um, Aisha, is... Um, Aishi. Aishi. Aishi Online. Okay, yeah. Aishi Online. Thank you. That has a character that has your name. As, now, again, is that you or is that a character version of you? Or That's a character version of me, but that was supposed to kind of play a little bit with reality and fiction. Right. The reason I bring this up is um, I do want to talk about Oracle Dusk specifically, but I guess I'm curious as to to why you wanted to focus so much on putting yourself into your art. You you mentioned there's therapeutic value there. Is that what this is for you? Is it therapy? Why so much of you in what you do? I think part of it is therapy, especially when it comes to Oracle of Dusk. So the dreams that I had about that professor and death and potentially his death, he and I weren't in a position where I could have emailed him about it. And I had a therapist at the time who could not seem to understand that part because it was a it was a complicated situation. But at the end of the day, I kept focusing on the fact that I wasn't supposed to know this information. He struck me as incredibly private and also incredibly skeptical about things like this. So I didn't have like the traditional therapist really helping me work through it. But in terms of like the philosophical questions of, is there something I can do and what can I do? 
I ended up falling into, well, an anonymous tape on the internet is really the best or only solution you have if you were to pursue that. I think maybe this doesn't always come across, but the character of in the Oracle of Dusk, first of all, she was supposed to be named Delphi, and nobody has ever called her that. I think when she gets referenced in writing, she's just called Dusk. Oh, okay, so the thing yeah. of it is, is that Dusk is desperate to fix something, but she doesn't know how to fix it. And so she tries this kind of out of desperation, and that's somewhat my approach to it too, is not entirely knowing how to work through issues that are outside of conventional understanding or common experiences. I think there is a lot in her takeaways of events and the things that she reads into situations that can be helpful for other people. Hmm. I think some of the lessons are incredibly generic. And so wherever you are in your life, there might be bits of wisdom that work out for you. But ultimately, I think I just wanted to be able to tell my story because for so much of my life, I wasn't encouraged to speak for myself. I wasn't encouraged to be myself or to say what I knew to be true. I, I really was conditioned to give socially approved answers in a lot of situations. With podcasting, I found a space where nobody could tell me what to do. Right. Podcasting is incredibly personal. Now that I have that, inherently, you're going to get a lot of me venting or a lot of me working through issues because it's, it's my first chance to do it. Is this fiction? So I always say it's fictionalized, the first season especially. The second season is a lot more of me venting, but I do twist it enough that I could say it's fiction. And then every other season is pure fiction. Did you ever get in touch with the professor you were having dreams about? Indirectly. And I almost regret that I did, because it turned out there was a death in his family around the time the nightmare started. Hmm. And when I, I talked to someone else about it... I think the takeaway was that my brain just couldn't let it go because of the weight I had put it on myself. I mean, I'd been having these dreams since I was a teenager. At some point, Occam's razor is not going to say, oh, it's a coincidence, but that something else is going on. He's fine now. It's been years. He's been okay. We haven't spoken since then. This started back in 2019, so you've been doing this for a while. Most of your entries, your episodes, are fairly short. What drew you to the sort of short format for doing these episodes? It just felt right, which is not an answer to your question. I know that. But <laughs> uh, <maybe>. Especially because, <laughs> I mean, for the first season especially, these were people that I, I knew in some regards. And I felt like there wasn't much background information to give in some ways that you could just cut to the point. Part of the whole design of the show is that these are tapes for specific people that other people can listen into. And so in some ways that 10 minute kind of cut just seemed to make sense, mm -hmm. right? 10 minutes of what you need to hear. I'm not going to delay this conversation with small talk because you probably don't even want to hear my voice right now. Like I'm telling you things you don't want to hear. So let's just move on with our day. Right. One of the things I noticed is you didn't, you don't do a lot of framing in terms of narrative, right? From the beginning, mm -hmm. uh, we, we have to kind of figure out what's going on. I like that. It keeps me metaphorically leaning forward in my chair, you know, trying to like, what's, wait, what's happening? What's going on? It can be effective because sometimes I think it makes us want to try to piece together the puzzles. Problem I think can be is that if we don't get a clearer sense of what's happening or the things that are happening are not clear or interesting, then we start drifting away. What I think keeps me interested, despite the lack of framing, is this deep compassion and this deep honesty in the performance and the words that Delphi or Dusk uses. She's reaching out because she has to? I think she feels as if she has to. 
I think from a writer's perspective, I haven't decided whether or not morally she's doing the right thing. Right. It's it's something with the entire idea of like psychic and mysticism that I have not fully reconciled or resolved in my head yet of if you know something through this particular means that you're not supposed to know, do you have the moral imperative to say something? She has definitely come to the conclusion that she does. And that was the conclusion I wanted her to have because of my whole situation with predicting someone's death potentially. Personally, I don't know. In the first season especially, you can argue that she does, right? Because this, the one person she's talking to is linked out to these other three and doesn't realize that. And she's also comforting um, somebody who's grieving the loss of a spouse and <laughs> people who are trying to find their way. You could argue that those are somewhat moral imperatives and that, you know, if she knew that somebody was somebody's spouse had died, that's what she would do. And you don't necessarily think about the how. But I, I personally get caught on the how, and maybe it's because because the person that I had nightmares about was such a private person, and I'm such a private person. And mm -hmm. yeah. you would you would argue that Dusk is too. I think, as far as narratively speaking, she has decided that she has the responsibility, and I can't help but wonder where that's going to go. Which seems really cheesy as a writer, but I definitely think in working on the next season, she is hitting her breaking point with this whole talk of she has to do it. I mean, even that, if you have to do something, there's still a consequence to the thing you have to do, especially for yourself. I think what's also interesting is that this whole podcast is a podcast. That's Mm -hmm. <laughs> That's not a tautology. Um, <laughs> I mean, what I mean is that is that this is actually a podcast that Dusk is making and kind of putting out there. In the third episode, she says to the person that she's speaking to, you played this podcast out of curiosity. It gives a kind of feeling of a little more desperation. I feel like she struggles with these dreams and these visions that she has, and she doesn't know what to do with them. She knows she wants to do something, but she's conflicted about how to do it. And so in maybe a sense, it's like, all right, I'm going to put this out there and then if the universe that sent me these dreams wants these people to hear my voice they'll find their way there that's definitely the kind of person that i think she is part of i think her making these tapes is that okay i've done something i can wash my hands of this i can i can be done and i can move on but i guess by the nature of multiple seasons of a podcast she's not done there's always someone else right the dreams don't stop the other thing I think that's particularly effective and surprising, and one of the reasons that your podcast caught my attention, is that you do it mostly in second person. Um, mm -hmm. there, the exception of that is when you have episodes where Dusk talks about herself. But even then, she's talking to the listener. But it's very unusual to hear the narrator saying you. And it was particularly uncanny, especially when I was listening to the third episode, which is about the academic, the, the professor. And the thing is, is I just came from a career in academia. And so I was like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> and while your bookshelf looks cluttered at first glance, the second glance is a lot more forgiving. It only looks messy because you keep shoving paper scraps into books while you read. But that doesn't look so bad. Okay, it is a little unsightly, but it's also a necessity. Kind of. I mean, academics just have to be held to a different standard. You need to be able to have thoughts and then house them outside of yourself where there is more space quickly. What did you call this habit 20 years ago? An advantage? A leg up for your career? Okay, I've freaked you out now. 
Sorry, I didn't mean to do that, but I did need to get your attention. And so uh, what made you want to do the, the second person approach? So there were a couple of reasons, actually. One, for some odd reason, I have just always wanted to tell a story in second person. Mm -hmm. I don't know why. I think maybe I got told not to do it just one too many times <laughs> well, and something hard, in me broke. Right? Yeah. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I think something in me just broke and decided, no, this is going to be an all second person story now. You've told me no too many times. But the second reason is that I think... I had it in my head that I shouldn't be overly obvious over who that person is. And that's part of my own experience with having dreams about pre people who keep things private, things that I know I shouldn't know, but also just with myself wanting to say these things to these people, being able to specifically say it in second person as if it was a conversation but the sort of conversation where you don't have to really answer for what you've said, like mm. the other person can't respond. Right. You know, I'm an I'm an incredibly awkward person. I'm sure that's going to show in this interview a little bit. <laughs> You're doing but I'm fine. An <laughs> I'm an incredibly awkward person. In my mind, doing it in second person was also just having the best of both worlds, like having that personal connection, but also not having to answer for having that personal connection. It's really very intimate. Uh, especially, you know, if you're listening on headphones and you've got the sort of quiet music playing in the background, the dusk comes on and she's talking to me. It's, it's very, I would say it's a very meditative experience. It's also very intimate and very personal. The other thing that comes along with that is that dusk is incredibly compassionate. Dusk is motivated by a strong desire to help people, to reassure, to make connections. Are you trying to help people? having dreams like this, I think it would force you to be more compassionate because you are seeing the, the human side of the people around you that you don't want to see. When I went to go visit my family in the Philippines and I told them I was having these nightmares, of course, they were like, let's just go to the traditional healer. And what she had said to me was, this isn't a message. You're seeing things you're not meant to see and you're hearing things you're not meant to hear, which I think she might have meant as like, random things are seeping into my brain at night, but I took it to mean that I'm seeing details of somebody's life that I'm just not aware of. But when you look at people from that perspective, I don't know how you can't be inherently compassionate. I'm sure this is a controversial statement, but I don't think people are inherently bad. I think maybe they've learned to be bad or they're just perpetually the dog in the corner that's panicking and now lashing out. And for, for Dusk, she sees the reason they're lashing out. She sees what taught them to be bad. For that, she can choose to be compassionate. And I think that's the only choice that anyone could make. The first client, a woman who is feeling run down and isolated in a relationship that she's in, and the first thing you say is an affirmation. You say, you're beautiful. You're beautiful. That may not help you realize that I'm talking to you but you needed to hear it. You're beautiful, and you haven't heard those words in a while. I could give you specifics on when the last time was, but what would a hard date matter? What matters is that you haven't heard them in a while. In fact, it's been far too long since you last heard those words. We both know that. And we both know that those may just be words. But there's a reserve deep in your soul that is empty now. And it seems to me that even though we know that Dusk is talking to someone else, it could often sound like you're talking to the listener. 
Uh, was that your intention? Did you want the listener to maybe vicariously have some of that compassion? In that first episode, yes, admittedly mm. I did. Yeah. I felt like I didn't know how to start it. And I was a little bit afraid of turning listeners away because of the second person narrative. I knew that was a controversial choice. And so I figured, well, if I start it this way, then you can't be too upset that you wasted like 10 minutes of your life listening to this. Like it, <laughs> it's like a consolation prize. And also we don't, we don't hear it enough. So, okay. Like everybody wins right now. <laughs> You've been on the air now for a while. You've got a lot of episodes in dusk. You're looking back at your first episodes. What do you think about them? Did you accomplish what you wanted to accomplish? I think I did. I always feel like I have the excuse of Dusk is trying this for the first time, and that's why the first season's not very good. Like, she's still learning how to do it, and also she's under emotional duress, so it was all choices. It was all artistic choices. I didn't make any mistakes. I listen back to them sometimes, and I can definitely still stand behind them. I think that show is what I needed it to be at the time. How have things changed in the vault since then? I have a feeling that Dusk herself is going to end up being retired. Her character arc doesn't allow her to do this forever. Really, what I'm thinking about is how to phase her out and how to bring someone else in. I know The Oracle of Dusk is not a show for everybody. I I know people don't like it. Like, I have a lot of two-star and one-star ratings from Australia in particular, which oh, is really? confusing. <laughs> Specifically Australia. I don't understand wow, okay. why this country hates me so much. But I, I know... It does mean a few, it does mean things to certain people. If it moves forward at some point, it's going to have to be without dusk. And what that means is still an open-ended question. You know, one of the things I've had to sort of come to terms with as a writer and a podcaster myself is not every story is for everyone, you know? Mm -hmm. you, you pour your life and your heart and everything you got into your work and you put it out there. And, and part of us wants everyone to think it's amazing, right? But Sometimes you just got to accept that this story is not for everyone, and that's okay. Yeah. Recently, Podchaser has put up leaderboards, and I'm sure you're aware of this, but um, they rank <laughs> users by the number of reviews that they do, and you are number mm -hmm. two on the entire site. You have 1,700-plus yeah. reviews for podcasts of all sorts. First of all, where do you get the time? And secondly, what motivates you so much to do all of this reviewing? Why all the support for podcasting? So in terms of where the time comes from, <laughs> I, I do work a full-time job, but the job that I do, first of all, we're not all back in the office yet. And it has happened numerous days where I am the only person in the building. Mm -hmm. And at some point you're putting on a podcast or you're losing your mind. Right. I actually prefer my media to be the sort of thing that I can listen to. I think it's because for a majority of my life, I've had terrible eyesight mm. and nobody noticed until I was 15 oh, wow. and I had to get my learner's permit. And by then, like my, my prescription was pretty bad. <laughs> I think I really just couldn't see anything and I didn't realize that I wasn't getting the intended experience. So that's where the time comes from is most of my time being devoted to listening to podcasts in terms of why I do it. So at some point when Podchaser was still a new-ish website, I jumped into it 
But while I was on that website, I realized that their their front page, their feed, is determined by what users do. It's not like some of the other apps or websites where they curate the front page. Hmm. And so if you time it right, you can actually put these indie smaller shows, which were most of my listening, onto that feed and giving it and give it a lot more attention. Reviewing became my outlet for support. And I think also it's emotional support. I mean, like, yeah, I understand there are bills to pay, but sometimes you need a pat on the shoulder. So that's that's kind of been the best that I can do. As of this recording, yesterday was um, Pod Review Day, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I was I was doing my best. And I think I got eight up there, but you were doing like twenty, <laughs> you were like thirty, I think, in a day. Yeah, thirty six. Thirty six. I broke my record of thirty five, <laughs> and I could only do it by one more. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I, I totally get what you mean, though. Getting feedback—that's the real good stuff. Yes, you want listens. Yes, you want pats on the back, the, you know, good jobs or you're so cool or whatever. But getting someone to say something specific, like I liked it when this happened or this part didn't work so well and here's why. Even the bad stuff, if it's specific, at least tells you what you're doing and why. Or it tells you what parts of the things you're doing that make a difference. What do you struggle with creatively? Uh, Time management, I think, (laughs) is the irony of me saying that on the heels of, oh, I have plenty of time. Um... So right now I have, well, Miscellany Media Reviews and My Who Got have to be on the back burner. But in addition to those, I have Temporal Light, Aishi Online, and Oracle of Dusk. And now Cassandra's Tales and Truths that I have to make content for and keep going and get those developed. I also have four or five different full ensemble shows that I'm working on that are also incredibly personal stories for me. I, I guess I only have one setting, but <laughs> I, right. I want I want to tell those stories. And so I, I'm working on those too. And in addition to having, you know, a full-time job and I have these two cats that I'm taking care of, which, you know, you don't think is a, is a huge commitment, <laughs> but they are very needy cats <laughs> and they're still babies. So they have a lot of energy. My main struggle is just getting everything done in a day that I need to get done without getting ideas for a bunch more content that I, I won't have time to make because of all the stuff that I'm already doing. Where does the motivation for all this come from? I really don't know. I've been working on stories since I was so young that I think part of it is just a push that I've always had to manage and that I've always wanted to do. I remember when I was in school, I would have a bunch of loose leaf notebook paper and I would be writing books and stories and that when the teacher wasn't looking. Like, I've always been doing this and I can't turn this off. (laughs) I'm sorry to my teachers in high school if you hear this. I I sincerely apologize. I did not mean to be disrespectful, but that's what I was doing. (laughs) How do you measure success? So before I started podcasting, I was trying to get an agent and publish traditionally And I kept being told no. Hmm. And I kept, for whatever reason, like, I'm not going to take it personally, but I kept running into roadblocks. And so for now, being able to tell these stories at all is a success in and of itself. You just get, you just get told no so many times that even if you're the only one telling yourself yes, it's still the first yes you've heard in years. Do you have any advice for people who want to create audio drama? I think the main advice that I would give is to tell the story you want to tell, which I know sounds cliche, but... You're essentially married to this podcast for a not insignificant amount of time, and it's a lot better of a marriage if it, if you do like the thing that you're married to. In terms of what other advice I would give, there's a lot of information on the internet, but a lot of it is terrible. <laughs> so I think it's kind of being discerning in terms of what your end goal is and what you want the end result to be. 
know what you want out of it and pursue that specific end because nobody else is going to guide your path. Do you have anything else that you want to say? I guess I would add that that I've loved the entire experience of podcasting. It's not even just making the shows. It's being on podcast Twitter or reviewing shows or all these things. Like I have, I have managed to make a life for myself that I could not have imagined five years ago, but I have come to love beyond my wildest imagination. When was the last time you laughed like that? You did it all the time a while ago. In what must have felt like a lifetime ago. Maybe it was another life. Your life before him? I can't help you with that life. Only this one. I want to help you with this one. Are you listening? The Oracle of Dusk is an unconventional story, to be sure. It is moody and meditative and filled with longing. But it is also filled with compassion and connection and a hope for healing and presented in a way that makes it hard not to feel personally. The Oracle of Dusk is available on most major podcast platforms. The first episode of is written and produced by W. Keith Timms. All opinions expressed in this show belong to the people who expressed them and not necessarily to anyone else. The theme song is Mockingbird by David Mumford. The show's webpage is thefirstepisodeof.com. If you're an audio drama creator and would like to be on the show, send an email to thefirstepisodeof at gmail.com. If you like down-to-earth sci-fi audio drama, check out my show, The Book of Constellations, wherever you get your podcasts. Keep telling stories. It's the only way we're going to get out of this mess. Until next time. I know you got questions about him. Where did he come from? How did he do all those things they say he did? Was he a terrorist? Was he crazy? Was his skin really blue? Well, I'll tell you what I know. I was there with him, driving through the back roads under the stars. I was witness to wonders and miracles and to the darkness that's coursing through the veins of our country. He came to fight it in his own strange way, but no one leaves that fight unchanged. Not even Rael. People ought to know the truth. And I was there. The Book of Constellations is a down-to-earth sci-fi road trip. It's audio fiction, and you can find episodes at bookofconstellations.com or wherever you get your podcasts.